I have this message that God put in my heart, and um, He's really been uh, been driving home with me and I believe several other people as well. Um, it's called "Put on the Armor of God." No, really, put it on. And actually, that I'll give my wife credit for the title on that. Um, a couple of months ago, Shell and I were driving along, and um, we were listening to some guy teach um, some something on her on her phone. And uh, as we were listening, he he said this thing that just grabbed a hold of me. He he said, "God will not do for you what He has given you the ability to do for yourself." And when I heard those words, it, you know, it really penetrated my heart. You know, I said, Shelly, text that to me. I, I've got to hold on to that. I've got to keep that fresh. And um, about a week or so later, uh, we were discussing um, her Jezebel and Ahab teaching. And, um, you know, I was thinking about that statement. And, you know, as I, as I heard it again, the Holy Spirit reminded me of Scripture in James Four seven, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Does that sound familiar? I think Tom's quoted that here recently with what he's been teaching. Um, so almost uh, instantly after I heard that, am I fading? Oh, you're turning me down a little bit. Sorry. Um, I asked myself this question: How do I successfully resist the devil? Um, but I didn't get an answer right away. So I'm, I'm thinking and I'm praying and I'm, I'm not really, the answer is not coming to me. And a couple weeks later, um, I was meeting with Jeff Hughes. And uh, I have this cube, and I actually meant to bring that, but I didn't. Um, I have this cube in my man cave, and it's, uh, it looks like a big die, like, a di- like dice. But it's got the, the armor of God on it and Jeff grabbed it and picked it up he said oh man this is cool he said and he acted like he was rolling it and he says hey God what armor do I need today you know and act like he was rolling it and I just kind of laughed and I said we need all of it you know and so you know we laughed kind of and went on with our meeting um and then uh later on that night as I was out and out there reading you know I was drawn to that cube I couldn't focus on what I was trying to read so I I picked up that cube and I started looking at all the armor intently. So then it took me to, you know, Ephesians 6, 10, 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. The whole armor of God. So I'll read that. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, Thomas, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this world, in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. So that's the first part. Um, 
So I'm, I'd like to point out two things, you know, in this verse. First, the armor is of God. It's not armor that we have created or constructed. It's armor that was constructed by God. And second, I must put on the armor. It requires an action for me. God will not put it on for me. He doesn't say, hey, sit down. Let me get this fitted on you properly. No, he expects us to put it on. He made it available to us. Now we have to put it on. So it goes on. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the, ar- and the body armor of God's righteousness, which is the breastplate of righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So, after I read that, I was like, whoa, you know, it just started flooding my mind with revelation. Um, and I was compelled to understand, you know, why our Father created spiritual armor for us in the first place. Um, and metaphorically, we have to put it on, and the importance of putting it on entirely and how it applies to my life in Christ. Okay, so I'm going to ask us all a question. Why did our Father create spiritual battle armor for us? I mean, isn't Jesus enough? Did he not say it is finished on the cross? Have I not read in the Bible, I must trust the Lord? What about the many promises of uh, him being my shield and my defense and so on? Have I been wearing counterfeit armor? The last question that I asked, when I thought about it, it really troubled me. I was unsettled. Because I had settled for some cheap imitation of the authentic army that was created for me by our Father. Having had evil days upon me when all hell broke loose, thinking I could successfully navigate through it with my own understanding. But, you know, I'd been duped and tricked. (laughs) I was deceived by the father of all lies. Having been exposed to this treachery, I discovered an important posture that I must embrace to succeed in this walk with Christ. And this is what I've discovered. The belt of truth. purpose of the belt of truth is to encircle or bind with a belt or band to surround and close, or to hem in, to prepare oneself for action, to provide, equip, or invest as with power or strength. We're to gird ourselves with the Word of God. The belt of truth for the Christian is to not live a lie in any part of our lives. 
living free from the secret areas of hypocrisy in our lives. The enemy loves to blackmail us when we keep secrets. It's good stuff. He'll toss us around like a rag doll when we keep things hidden. Wearing the belt of truth means being raw, vulnerable, and honest before God. I'd put on a belt of shame <laughs> to keep me guarded. It gave me a false sense of security. When you feel shame, by default, you almost always go into defense mode whenever you're confronted. One way I did this was by flat-out lying. I had an issue with pornography many years ago that I really didn't want to expose, and the belt of shame kept it hidden in place from my wife and from my brothers and sisters in Christ. But when I decided to put on the belt of truth, the shame and everything that went along with that was exposed. And my earpiece fell off. <laughs> Does anybody else have problems like this? When they're I don't think they do. I see everybody every week and nobody struggles. Mush it around my ear. Okay, here we go. I'm mushing it. There we go. Yeah, I, d I don't have hair to help it hold, help hold it in place. That's a problem. Um, but anyways, the shame was brought into the, the light. It was dealt with because it was exposed. Thank God for that. Thank God. Okay. The breastplate of righteousness. One of the most important jobs of the breastplate is to protect the heart. Biblically, the word heart means inner part of the mind, inner being of man. What is in our hearts determines what we are. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. The Word of God calls us to guard our hearts more than anything else. And when it says... I, when it says heart, it actually refers to the inner part of our minds. Okay. Man, this is just a toe-stomping day, Tom. I'm going to stomp on some toes right now, including my own. But many of us have created our own breastplate called the breastplate of self-righteousness. <laughs> ouch, right? <laughs> Come on, ouch. Woo. At its core, it's pride. Being self-righteous, I would justify myself by not taking responsibility and blaming others when something went wrong. Does that sound familiar to anyone? One easy way to find out if you're wearing this piece of counterfeit armor is to ask your spouse. <laughs> Double ouch. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
In fact, we're so incredibly deceived, we cannot see it within ourselves. It's serious sin because it keeps us from seeing our need for Jesus and perpetuates the lie that we don't need a Savior. I mean, only murderers, rapists, and Ponzi schemers need a Savior, right? (laughs) Hey, I'm basically a good person. God wouldn't judge a good guy like me. Or would he? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Not by my own strength, or my own work, or my own creation. Putting on the blessed, the, the blessed, the blessed breastplate of righteousness means that I place deep in my mind and in my heart through the action of humility that I am righteous before God by grace through Christ. You guys agree? All right, the shoes of peace. The peace shoes that God supplies His shoulders have two purposes, defensive and offensive. In order to defend ourselves against the flaming arrows of the evil one, we must have confidence in our position in Christ. We must stand firm in the truth of God's word, regardless of how terrifying the circumstances must be. I experienced that earlier today, as a matter of fact. Whew. First, yes. First John five fourteen. We must understand grace without abusing it. Romans six one through six. Remember that our position in Christ is not based on our own abilities or worthiness. Titus three five. Oh, that was Titus 3, 5, I'm sorry, I believe. I would wear shoes of chaos. (laughs) That's what I had on before I figured out that I needed shoes of peace. I accomplished this by being a victim. You know that famous quote by Curly of the Three Stooges? (laughs) I'm just a victim of circumstance, right? (laughs) Right, exactly, right? It's not like I haven't seen it a time or two, right? (laughs) By not knowing who I was in Christ, I let the external events of the day rule the internal reaction of what I'd say. Let me say that again. By not knowing who I was in Christ, I would let the external events of the day rule the internal reaction of what I'd say. When I know who I am, my reactions are not governed by emotion, but by my identity in Christ. (laughs) 
One example I experienced in my life recently, and really laugh about this one, was I was out in my man cave slash office again, um, and I got a, I was doing some estimates or something, and my wife texts me, and she says, the text says, come in here, the kids need to tell you something. <laughs> and just remember, or, oh, um, don't, see, don't get mad, and just remember, it's only stuff. <laughs> so I'm like, so I'm thinking to myself as I get up, I'm like, I, you know, what, they spilled something on the carpet, or maybe the furniture, something happened to furniture, or something got broke, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, but I walked in, and my grandson was sitting there on the couch all wide-eyed, and he looks at me, he goes, he goes, hey, Poppy, that's me, Poppy, that's really sweet, um, uh, I was playing Wii Bowling, and I didn't have the strap on, and I broke the TV. Uh, it's a 65-inch TV. Come on, man, for reaction here. It was a big TV, <laughs> and it was broken. So my look on my face went from, you know, it was one of those moments. So I, I honestly, you know, I, I could have had the wrong reaction in that moment. <laughs> so I took a deep breath. I walked away and I thought about how I would react to this and how my reaction would impact my grandson. I didn't want to crush his spirit and make a huge withdrawal from him. So I tempered my reaction by simply saying it can be replaced. <laughs> Um, and the bigger victory was not in letting my negative emotion, the negative emotion of this event rule in my heart and take it out on the rest of my family after he was gone. You know, because that's what we tend to do. We'll, we'll stuff something down that, you know, and we don't react in the moment, but yet other people experience the negative emotion of what happened to us. In those moments, the struggle is real. And if we do not have our feet firmly planted in the shoes of peace, we are going to trade them in for the shoes of chaos. The shield of faith. shield of faith is held together by the measure of our own faith. Without faith, there's no shield at all. On a little faith, there's some level of protection. Somebody has a gift of faith or has gained faith through testing or and practical application, we can effectively ward off the darts of the enemy that the enemy sends our way. Before I understood the shield of faith, I would put up a wall of denial. The definition of denial, the action of declaring something to be untrue. I was kind of surprised when I read that. Definition of denial is the action of declaring something to be untrue. 
I would build this wall of denial by blatantly going against what was the truth that was presented before me. Early on in my marriage, I was in denial of needing emotional healing and deliverance. <laughs> I mean, I was like, man, I've got Jesus. You know that what I said at the beginning about isn't Jesus good enough? You know, I would literally say that. That was my argument. I didn't have any scriptural reference or, or anything to pull from except for Jesus was enough. And um, that was my only argument, and I always failed miserably. <laughs> of course, I'm not as witty as my wife or as, as quick-tongued as she is. Um. <laughs> I would always minimize things in an argument. Shelley was convinced that I had embraced a critical spirit by how I reacted with her and my children. Ouch, again. Whenever she tried to bring truth about my heart posture in this area, I would seem to downplay my criticism and justify it by some means of manipulation. I really needed to trust my wife and raise up my shield of faith that she was hearing the Holy Spirit and genuinely wanted to help me and save the kids from my wrath. <laughs> faith requires that there be some kind of testing. <laughs> Can I have a witness? If we are never tested, then why would we need faith, right? Therefore, faith is more valuable in hard times than good because it proves our allegiance and our reliance on God. When we take God at His word, then we are holding up the shield of faith and preventing the fiery darts from penetrating. Amen. The helmet of salvation. Ephesians 6.17 And take the helmet of salvation. Now, when I started researching some information about the helmet of salvation, um, I discovered some really cool things about how they were created and how they, they went over the whole head and just left basically the eyes and part of the mouth area open, but they were engraved and they were really ornate and really intricate um, in the way they were designed. And one of the main reasons for a helmet was when the soldiers were in the field, they usually had two swords. They'd have a, a big broad sword for hacking and they'd have the, the double-edged sword, which I'll get to in a little bit, but they'd use that broad sword and they'd if you didn't have a helmet on, they could whack your head clean off in one swing. So this helmet was made, was really heavy. So that in itself, you know, the heaviness of the, the helmet that was on was pretty impressive that, you know, but it protected their head. So in a natural, obviously, but that's what it does in the spiritual as well. How would you like to have supernatural protection wrapped so tightly around your head that it would safeguard your mind from every mental assault of the devil. 
Well, you may not realize it, but if you are a child of God, you have already been given this kind of safeguard to protect you. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.17, And take the helmet of salvation. Before I could put on the helmet of salvation, I had to take off my helmet of hopelessness. <laughs> yeah. There was a time in my life before I genuinely responded to Christ that I had been wearing this tight-fitting crown of hopelessness fabricated by, the war, by embracing what the world had to offer to me. Stuffed emotions and heartache, the illusion of love without God, the dependency on the need for things, things and empty relationships that can never fill the void within me. After losing everything I had in a divorce, I crawled into a bottle and I was very angry. Um, several more broken relationships after that. I was empty and hurting. When I finally realized that, Je that Jesus was offering me a helmet of salvation in place of my helmet of hopelessness that I had so tightly wrapped around my head, I was able to take it off and put on the helmet of salvation. Understanding the understanding of all that salvation encompasses must be ingrained in our minds. We must be convinced of these realities. In other words, our minds are trained and taught to think correctly in terms of our salvation. become solid knowledge in the helmet of our lives. At that point, it doesn't matter how hard the devil tries to hack away at our spiritual foundation. We can know beyond the shadow of a doubt what Jesus' death and resurrection purchased for us. As this knowledge becomes part of us it prevents the enemy from attacking our mind and it did prevent the enemy from attacking my mind as he did in the past and that's how the full knowledge of our salvation is put on our heads with a helmet pretty cool huh amen yes Yes. All right. The sword of the Spirit. And we all want to grab a hold of the sword of the Spirit, but we have to think about all the armor, the other armor that's here in place as well. Can you imagine a soldier carefully putting on each piece of armor to protect himself and then going into battle without a weapon? That would be drastic, <laughs> it'd be suicidal. While David could go up against Goliath without wearing Saul's armor, 
he still had to take up this weapon, right? Well, the other pieces of armor that we have are considered necessary to protect us from the enemy's attacks. They cannot kill the enemy. (laughs) Only the sword could do that. Soldier without a sword wouldn't last a minute if the enemy got close enough for hand-to-hand combat, right? The sword shows us that Satan just doesn't shoot at us from a distance. He also moves in close to kill. To survive and conquer, we must take and be able to use the sword. Instead of wielding the sword of the Spirit, my preferred weapon of destruction was the tongue of fire. I was an expert at demeaning people and causing those around me to feel in fear by the words I would say and the tone I would say them in. Just ask my wife. (laughs) She will definitely confirm that. I would even manipulate scripture to justify what I was saying. I'm sure no one here has ever done that before, though, right? Ouch. Toe stomp. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. But you know, we have a wonderful, amazing... I mean, I can't even give the build-up enough to be even worthy of the example that we have of wielding the sword. Because Jesus demonstrates supreme swordsmanship. And the best example of when he used the word was against the devil when he tempted him in the desert. Jesus was hungry from fasting. So the devil said, If you are the Son of God, command the stones that they become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you know he was quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 there. And then Satan took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and suggested that he throw himself down. In Matthew 6, Satan, Satan quoted from Psalm 91, 11, 12. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But the devil left out a phrase to guard you in all your ways. But a sobering point is Satan knows scripture and he can use it wrongly against you to tempt you. So be on guard. Jesus rebutted the devil with Deuteronomy 6.16. On the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan wasn't through. 
We all know the story. He took Jesus on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. Then he said in Matthew 4, 9, All these things I will give you if you will but fall down and worship me. That phrase kind of grabs me a little bit. Our enemy wants our worship. And if he can keep us distracted and focused on these different things that lead us astray, that's what we give our worship to. Jesus again came back quoting scripture. Yep. Go, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The instructive thing for us is that each time Jesus responded with a specific appropriate scripture, which he knew verbatim from memory, from Deuteronomy no less. Jesus didn't say, wait a minute. I know there's a verse in there somewhere about that. Just give me a minute while I whip up my coordinates and try to figure out where that's at. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, Jesus didn't say, wait, I'm going to Google that. Google knows everything. He knew the word and used it to ward off Satan's temptations. We should do the same. You guys agree? right the word must be rightly divided the word must be must never be taken out of context the word must be meditated upon the word must be consumed on a daily basis the word must be hidden in our hearts. If we are diligent to do these things, and then we hear from Holy Spirit, we can trust that we will be speaking the word and wielding the sword of the Spirit. So bringing that all together, and going back to the beginning of that phrase that I quoted. God will not do for you what he has given you the ability to do, to do for yourself. He's given us armor that we have to put on. He's not going to put it on for us. It's got a specific purpose. And we really, really need to dig in and figure out how to use it. That's important. Chris, can you put on um, some music? Just some, some quiet instrumental music. And take some time and pray. and ask everybody to close their eyes.
Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a vision of the full armor that He has made for you. Just take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to show that to you. for equipping me for battle. Lord, we repent to you for settling for some cheap counterfeit armor Just imagine yourselves taking off the counterfeit armor and tossing it aside. And forgive us, Lord. Now imagine the new armor. Think of the new armor the Holy Spirit showed you. And putting it on. Preparing for the spiritual battle that's at hand. Because it's not a battle of flesh and blood. I don't battle against my wife or my family. I don't battle against my boss. I don't battle against my parents. I don't battle against the authorities of the land. I don't battle the government. I don't battle myself. because I know who I am in Christ. Thank you. Just take a moment and thank the Lord for providing us with armor to succeed in our walk with Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to not just leave us lingering out on the war field without equipping us for the task at hand. Lord, I ask that you would remind us each day when we wake up, Lord, 
that we would be conscious of the spiritual armor that you've given to us and we would take action and we would put on that armor so that in the time of testing, in the battle, we would be able to stand our ground. And then, Lord, after we have stood in the time of evil, we will still be standing. And we thank you, Lord. You're an amazing Father. You provide everything that we need to succeed. Help us to see it, Lord. Help us to use it. Help us to help others to use it, Lord. I thank you in the precious name of Jesus.